We're starting our passion series this week. It's a four-week series that I'm launching today. Uh, quick question for you. Uh, what other words could you use for passion? What you, could you replace the word passion for? Okay, I wasn't going to ask you if I say the word passion, what comes to mind? Okay, I knew that was a dangerous uh, tack to go down. So I've reworded it slightly. The word passion, how can you replace that? What's an equal word to passion, do you feel? Stoked. Stoked. Thank you. Love. Zeal. Longing. Energy, okay. Some good answers there. Okay, so that's kind of some words that maybe could replace the word passion. But what about if, if we were to talk about someone who's passionate for God? If you perhaps have a picture in your mind of somebody that you know is like really on fire for God, is really passionate, how would you describe somebody or what does passion for God look like? Energetic. Hunger? Hunger for God, yes. Energetic? Energetic. Fervent. Fervent. <laughs> okay, so we've summarized our passion for God in fervent, zeal, energetic, and hungry. Okay, it's hard, isn't it? We struggle, don't we, to think of, we know what passion is, or do we? You know, it's a, a word that's used regularly in our society, but do we really know what passion actually means? Well, I've popped on your notes there, um, on your update sheet. First time ever, you've got the new size sermon and life group notes. So if you want to open those up and follow through with me this morning. That would be great. But on the top of your notes there, I've just put a a condensed version of the dictionary definition. The dictionary definition for passion is intense emotion, compelling action. What a great summary of the word passion. Intense emotion, but it doesn't stop just there. It then compels you. You're so passionate about something. You're so driven about something. You're so compelled that you have to live it out, act it out, do something with it. Um, now, I thought, well, that's fine. That's a dictionary definition. But what about a biblical definition? Because, you know, obviously we try to base our lives in the Bible. And I tried to think of a verse or a piece of scripture that would summarize for me very succinctly what passion for God looks like. And I came up with Deuteronomy, I can never say that very well, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. The NIV, a new international version, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's quite a good description, isn't it? Somebody that's passionate for God, that they're loving God uh, with you know, different parts of who they are. And the message puts it slightly different. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. And that is a great, I think, description of what somebody who's passionate for God looks like. And I'm very conscious this morning that some of you may be really passionate for God at the moment. Some of you may not know God at all and wonder what this is all about. Some of you may have previously had a, a time in your life when you think, I used to be passionate for God, but it's, it's ebbed a bit. I'm conscious, do you know what I mean? In, in a room this size with around 300 people, we're going to be all on the spectrum of passion for God. It's probably going to be covered this morning and hopefully in the next four weeks as we engage with this subject, as we unpack it, as we look at it, you know, God's really going to hit you where you're at and engage with you where you're at and draw you on with him. Um, I'm sure you'd agree with me. It's not a particularly profound statement, but this country needs passionate people and this country needs people that are passionate for God. You know, it it mortifies me really how, how this nation is just going down the plug hole in so many different ways. And this country is crying out for a body of people who are passionate, who've got life, who've got energy, who've got commitment, who've got, 
such a, a faith that they're compelled to act on it. And I've put something on your notes there about apathy. And I think with apathy wins, we're in big trouble, aren't we? Not just for this church, not just for your life, not just for the community, but for this nation. If apathy wins, we're in big trouble. There's a quote here from, um, well, a little scenario from America, but it could be equally applied to here. Someone has said that the epitaph of our society should be this. This civilization died because it didn't want to be bothered. In New York City, a mailman was shot by a sniper. He staggered into the lobby of a hotel, and because he was dripping too much blood on the carpet, he was thrown out, and he died. In Oklahoma City, a woman gave birth unexpectedly on the sidewalk, and bystanders turned their heads away. Reminded me of uh, John and Doreen, actually, because their little one that we've just dedicated this morning was born in a very interesting scenario in the corridor where they live. Came quite unexpectedly, didn't she? A taxi, uh, yes, sorry, back to the, the, the woman in Oklahoma. A taxi pulled up and saw what was happening and then drove away. In Dayton, Ohio, a dozen people saw a woman drive her car into the Miami River and they watched indifferently as she climbed onto the car roof and screamed that she couldn't swim. Nobody helped and she drowned. So many, so many incidents like that have happened that the Chicago Sun-Times newspapers actually in their library, a special file entitled... Apathy. This civilization died because it couldn't be bothered. A guy called Dr. Gould says, I do not believe the greatest threat to our future is from bombs or guided missiles. I don't think our civilization will end that way. I think it will die when we no longer care. We see that, don't we? We see a society that no longer cares. And someone else, Joseph Addison, said, there is no greater sign of general decay in a nation than a, a want, a lack of zeal in its inhabitants. And I thought about that, and the reason I've particularly included that one, although it's a very similar quote to the one above, is because I reworded it slightly in my thinking, because it's also indicative, I think, of churches, because you could read it, there is no greater sign of, a gen of general decay in a church than a lack of zeal in its members, in its people. And I think, you know, for all the activities and ministries and uh, statistics and, you know, all the stuff that happens in any given church, the biggest indicator of whether that church is healthy and growing is the passion of the people. The rest is secondary, isn't it? It's to do with the commitment and the heart and the zeal and the fervor of its people. This country and this community is crying out for a bunch of people who are passionate, that are authentically, emotionally and practically bothered. Because I don't think proper passion can be faked. Well, not for very long. You can kind of coerce it, you can manipulate it, you can drum it up in yourself for a certain length of time, but genuine passion soon ebbs. And we see a culture of temporary passions all the time, don't we, that come and go. But God wants a passion in us that is unceasing, that is unending, that is permanent. Um, and um, I had an interesting kind of scenario uh, last Saturday night that, that kind of demonstrates this in a, in a pictorial way. Um, last Saturday, I'd been out all day. I got home at half past 10, decided I was going to um, microwave myself some tea, which is not the best time of day. Is it half past 10 to be having your tea? But I, uh, and I'd noticed that my washing machine had sort of stopped mid-cycle. Well, it was just kind of dead. And I thought, oh, that looks a little interesting, but I'll worry about that later. Need my meal. So I put my microwave meal in, turned on the microwave, and at the point I turned the dial, all around my, uh, all around my house, oh sorry, all around my kitchen was loud banging, popping, fizzing sounds. And I thought, that's not good. 
And tried the mic, thought, well, I'm sure that's not good, but hey, I need my tea. Tried the microwave again, nothing. Tried the kettle, nothing. Tried various other sockets and appliances in the kitchen, nope, all diddly dead. And I thought, the interesting kind of thing out of that is if you were to come into my kitchen on Sunday or Monday before the electrician arrived on Tuesday, if you went into my kitchen, it would look like a fully functioning kitchen. The sockets were there, the plugs were in place. It looked like it had power, but it was absolutely dead. And I think we as Christians can sometimes have the illusion of being, you know, there with God. We can feel, you know, that we look right, we appear okay, but actually there's something lacking in power inside of us there's a depassioning inside we're dead inside and um the the electrician that came is a, a guy called andy who comes and do our electrics here at the church fantastic guy who's a christian um he came to my house tuesday morning with his little dibber which is amazing and he points at all the sockets and he can tell without even opening them whether they're live or not and it was fascinating watching him because these sockets looked the part but when he put his dibber against it it showed that it was dead and I think God wants to put his dibber against you this morning, against your heart, and see whether there's real passion or real life and real energy behind the appearance. And I'm excited about it because what I'm going to share this morning it has come partly out of my own personal experience in the last few months. So I can speak very passionately and authentically and uh, with great energy this morning about this because of my own experience. I had thought, wouldn't it be great... Because of this whole kind of idea of we all appear great, but sometimes not so brilliant on the inside. Wouldn't it be great if we could install over the door there a passion monitor? Okay, and I would want to be the first person stood by the post box watching. And as you step through the double doors at the top, a little figure, a number, appeared between 1 and 10 above the door. And what your passion for God rating was that day. And you're looking a little scared, so don't worry. It's not being installed until we get the new building. <laughs> and then it is. It's all part of the new build. But, you know, we aren't going to do that. But I thought, wouldn't it be interesting? It'd probably be really refreshing for us actually to see where other people are at. Because some people we maybe think are just out there like a 10. They'd walk through their door and it'd appear as a 2. Or vice versa. Or people that you've maybe categorized, well, they're not really passionate for God. They might come through as a 9. Because it's not about the outward appearances, is it? It's about the passion of your heart. So there is no passion monitor going to be installed in the church, but I pray over this series that God really begins to fan into flame, to, to stoke the passion in your heart for him. I'm going to read you something from uh, this incredible book, mainly because it just resonated. We have kind of mentioned in this Mike Iaconelli book, absolutely awesome. I read this about 10 years ago when it first came out and I'm rereading it and it is just electrifying stuff to read. And I just read some of it earlier in the week and this bit connected with me particularly because, you know, going back to the electrics, I had thought for a while for me, myself, I've got the appearance on the outside of being really full on for God, but I was conscious towards the latter end of last year that I was beginning to feel flat towards God. Not that I didn't believe anymore, that I wasn't passionate about the church or about, you know, the, the biblical truth about God, but just something in me, I was becoming aware of that kind of a flatness. And I read this and it really, you know, resonated with myself. Um, he says, what happened? What happened to our aliveness? How can we grow up, accumulate 12 to 15 years of education, get married, have children, work for decades and never really live, never really feel alive? 
How could we begin our lives with clarity and passion, wonder and spontaneity, yet so quickly find ourselves at the middle or end of our lives, dull and bleary-eyed, listless and passionless? And I thought, you see, from a baby with all its wonder and excitement, and so quickly life drums out of you, your aliveness. And I knew for me that I read that, I thought, man, that's me. Where's my aliveness gone? You know, that real full, it doesn't mean that I have to be loud or, you know, extrovert, but it's inside of me. Where's the aliveness gone? And Michael Jackson says, not that he's the best person to quote, obviously, but he says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. And for me, that's where I started. I want to be passionate for God. I was aware that my aliveness had dwindled. And I thought, I need to start by looking at the person in the mirror. I can't blame other people or circumstances or situations. I need to start by looking at myself. And I'm just going to unpack for you this morning some things, four main things. Obviously, there are loads, and these are just four I've chosen. And some other stuff will no doubt get addressed in the coming weeks. But these are four key things that I think that dampen your passion for God. Some of them were true in my life. Some of them are not. And when I was at my brother's over in New Year, I noticed on the fire they have like a, a dampener, don't they? Any of you that have a real fire will know that you have a dampener. And you can regulate, can't you, the blaze of the fire. And uh, these are some of the things that I think dampen and, and squash and limit um, our passion for God. You still with me? Yeah. Great. Okay, so firstly, uh, and I've lumped these all together because, to be honest, they're, they're very similar. Disappointment, disillusionment, doubt, delay. And um, I don't need to tell you this. You all know this already. Disappointment affects your passion for God, especially when there's a lot of them. You can take one knock, but then when there's another, and then there's another, and then there's nothing, another, you begin to feel disappointed, and that increases and builds if it's not dealt with. And then that can lead to disillusionment. And actually, ultimately, that can lead to doubt, where you're actually not sure you believe what you used to believe about God anymore. And you may have started your Christian faith full of energy and vitality and life and enthusiasm. And then life's disappointments can erode or eat away at that to the point where something has died inside. The uh, verse I've put on your notes there from Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Or in the message, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. And when you've had disappointment or you're disillusioned, or if there's been a delay, that's something that you've been praying for years for and there's no real breakthrough and you think, this is, this is just delay. I'm just not getting any further, getting on with this, not getting any mileage, getting any further on with this. All of those can leave you confused, flat, questioning if God is the God that you thought he was. All of that can eat away, can't it? It can eat away at your passion for God because you begin to question if God is really who he is and whether he's as powerful as he says he is and whether his purposes are really what you thought they were. All of those questions, all of that kind of undermining really of your faith dampens your passion for God. And it might be that you're here this morning thinking, well, that's what's happened to me. I remember a time when I was passionate about God, but life has knocked it out of me. And so you're conscious that you're not where perhaps you once were. Secondly, distraction distraction jeremiah 2 verse 5 this is to do with like when other things vie for god's place in your life jeremiah 2 verse 5 said this is what the lord says what fault did you find in me that you strayed so far and followed worthless idols and i know that's in a particular scenario in the bible but i thought that's true for all of us what fault do we find in god that we choose to go for something else that we think something else is better that we think something else is a better option sometimes that comes out of disappointment we think well god doesn't work so i'll try something else 
But we can so easily get distracted. Sometimes it's just the busyness of our lives. I read somewhere this week about a little girl who was around four years old who said to her baby brother, who's around 10 months, 12 months old, her parent overheard her saying this to her little brother, can you remind me what God's voice sounds like? Because I'm beginning to forget. Now that really freaked me out at one level because I then had all these kind of theological things about children and at what point do we not hear God's voice and all sorts of stuff. But I thought, how fast you know, can you remind me what God sounds like because I'm beginning to affect. And what happens, forget, forget what happens is our, God's voice doesn't get any quieter, but our lives get louder and they drown out. We get distracted by so many other things that God's place in our life becomes less because our lives are so busy with some other things. And not necessarily those things are bad, it's just the precedence that they take in our lives. Things like sport, I watch it with people with sport, relationships, um, you know, something else comes along and suddenly their passion for God ebbs just because something else that's very exciting for the moment has come along. And that can eat away at your passion. Uh, what are we on? Three. Number three, dilution. It's, this is like when our kind of faith gets mixed with other things. The verse I've given you from 1 Kings is, is from Elijah. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. I think what a fantastic verse in itself that we could have every day. If God is God, follow him. And if he's not, well, don't. But if God is God, follow him. End of discussion. And if he's not, don't. The Amplified says, how long will you halt and limp between two opinions? And when I read that, that reminds me of something that somebody said to me years ago um, when we were discussing uh, sort of people that like, live in the world and live in the kingdom of God and kind of try to do the both things. And, and she said she always saw it, that sometimes people like to have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world, if you like. One part of them, one half of them likes to be in the things of God. They have a faith. They, they follow God, they're into church, but there's another part of them that compromises, is into all sorts of other stuff that really doesn't fit with the God life. And by doing that, they think they've got the best of both worlds. And they think, well, I've got one foot in this part and one foot in this part, so therefore I'm getting the best of both. And she said, the reality is you're not. You're getting the best of neither. Because you can't go fully this way because there's too much God awareness in your life. So you do that stuff and you just feel rubbish about yourself or guilty about yourself or actually that wasn't quite as exciting as I thought it was going to be and you're disappointed that it wasn't quite the excitement. But equally, unless you're fully in this side, you're not really getting the best of God. So all the time that you're walking, you're halting and limping along because you're trying to dilute your Christianity with other things. And therefore that means that your potency for God is diminished and your passion for God dwindles. Lastly, depletion. I've also put done in because that makes more sense to me. Done in And I've met a lot of people who are feeling a bit done in at the moment. So, 1 Kings 19, again, this is from Elijah's story. Um, and he's had this amazing experience on the top of Mount Carmel, but he's kind of overexpended himself really. And now he's just absolutely shattered. He's tired, he's weary, he's exhausted, he's alone, he feels isolated. And all of that culminates with him saying, he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I mean, that's fairly done in us, isn't it? When you get to that point. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I'm no better than my 
dead ancestors. He's basically saying, well, my ancestors are dead and I'm not really, you know, life isn't that great here, so I might as well join them. That's, you know, at the end extreme, the end example of done-inness. But the reality is if you are tired, if you've had, you know, ongoing health challenges, emotional, financial, relational challenges, that takes its toll. We are human beings. It takes its toll. And that can, you know, that can dampen your passion for God because you're not really passionate about a lot of things because you're just done in. And sometimes that can be a factor why your passion for God has diminished so some of those things, I know I've gone through them fairly quickly. There's four things. As I say, there could have been a lot more. There may be other factors that you're aware of that had dampened your passion for God. Some of those are things that you may have chosen. You may have chosen to let other things become more of a priority in your life. You may have chosen to dilute your faith with a bit of mix and match. Some stuff is perhaps stuff that's happened to you. Disappointment or done in this may be just a result of life happening to you. So there's a mixture there of stuff that maybe you've chosen or may have just kind of arrived at your door. And you can begin to address some of those. But what I feel more excited about is actually what God wants to do today and over this next series. And partly this speaks out of my own personal experience because I think you can do all the right things. And some of you may be feeling dry, flat, depassioned about God, if that's even such a word. And you're doing all the right things. Those things don't apply. You are still doing everything you feel that you should and working at your relationship with God and life hasn't particularly hit you hard or you know, you're not diluting your faith and actually you still feel a bit flat and you're not quite sure why. And I feel very expectant about this series that we're entering about what God by his Holy Spirit wants to do in many of our lives. And um, this kind of comes out of a, a personal experience I've had but also just some stuff I feel God's been saying to us for the church. Um, my little scenario is uh, last year I found quite a difficult year. Um, compared to some of your years, it was probably a breeze. Uh, compared to some of your years, it w- would have been challenging, you know, and I realized we're, we're all a mix in that. But I did find last year very difficult, and it was on the back of some previous difficult years. And so come the end of last year, I was feeling quite done in. And that was fine. But the thing that was really concerning me more than anything was this flatness about my relationship with God. It really concerned me. I still believed everything I believed. I was still doing my job as um, conscientiously as I could. You know, all those factors were in place. But if I was really honest, if I walked through the passion monitor at the door, I felt like I was just a two or a three. And I felt really, I thought, where's that aliveness gone? Where's that vibrancy gone? Where's that excitement about who God is and how incredible he is? and, And how come my life that's interwoven with a supernatural being is feeling so just, ordinary I thought there's got to be more than this and I felt concerned about this kind of flatness that I was feeling then I went to Hong Kong with Mark uh, and the CFAN team fantastic time incredible culture we got to the conference and um, we were there with 9,000 Chinese um, people most of whom were Christians and uh, the worship was just phenomenal, bearing in mind that these people have never been able to publicly, most of them haven't been able to be publicly worshipped together. And if they had, it been in groups of 10, um, never with 9,000. It was just, a, you know, a moment in history that we were privileged to be a part of. Absolutely fantastic. And I stood there worshipping and singing, as best you can when it's in Cantonese um, and Mandarin. And you're trying to sing the English that doesn't fit phonetically with the words. But we all had to go, didn't we, Russ? We did try. And... Um, And I was singing and worshipping and actually it just still felt flat. 
And I looked around and I, I was humbled. I watched these Christians, you know, and I just thought, man, they've got something I haven't got. They are so exuberant and they're just, it wasn't just about the outward appearance. There was just something on their faces. There was just this passion for God. And I thought, I remember being like that. What on earth has happened? And I want to be there again. I hate where I'm at. I want to be passionate for you again. And also, coupled with that, I was reflecting, which is never good to do when you start thinking negatively. I then went to another place and I thought, well, I wonder if I'm still an evangelist. I wonder if God's took the call off my life. Because actually in Zion, in the last 18 months, we haven't seen very many people come to faith. And numbers on Explore have dropped a bit. And I've been really concerned about that and gutted about that. And well, maybe I'm not an evangelist anymore. Maybe I'm not that passionate really anymore about lost people. But I didn't quite fit. But I began to ask those questions. And then on one particular evening, first or second evening, and I don't know if it was Reinhard or Daniel, that gave an appeal for salvation. And it just... These people just flooded through to the front. And the moment I saw that, I absolutely collapsed inside. I was sobbing. I was weeping. I was laughing. I was crying. It was just, was the, the just, it just touched my heart in a very deep place. I just, as I watched these people come to faith and I thought their eternal destinies have changed. And right here in this Com Asia Expo Center in the middle of Hong Kong, these lives are changing for eternity. And I knew that I hadn't lost my passion for lost people or my passion for us to try to win people for Christ. And it was just a really special moment for me in Hong Kong after all the questions I'd been asking to think, gosh, it's still there. It's still really firing in who I am. And then after that, I came back and I kind of thought, well, that's okay. I'm still who I thought I was, but I still felt still generally a bit of a flatness, you know, in terms of my relationship with God. And I thought, well, I'm reading my Bible, I'm worshipping, I'm studying, I'm doing all the things that I think I can do to help, you know, relight the fire, but I'm still feeling quite flat. And in the end, I got to the point at the end of last year, just before Christmas, where I got down on my knees and said, God, I hate where I'm at. I, I just, I want to be that alive person that I remember I used to be deep in the core of who I am. I want that passion back. I want to have that radical expectancy of who you are and just what you could do. And I got down on my knees and said, I don't know what else to pray, God, except God, will you give me that passion back? I don't know what else to do. I'm doing what I think is the right stuff to do. But God, I need a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit. I need you to relight the fire in my heart. I need you to touch me again. Re please, God, re-passion me. And I found within a couple of days, the fire was back. I'm very privileged for that to have happened. It doesn't always happen that way, as some of you will know. But suddenly, I thought, gosh, I remember me. This is me. This is who I was a little while back or some years back. And just since then, I was talking to Dan about it in the week when we were talking about the teaching series. I said, I'm just loving being back in that place where... You know, I'm firing on all, full, on all full cylinders, whatever the phrase is, on all cylinders inside for God again. Absolutely, I'm loving being back in that place. Doesn't mean the situations have changed, circumstances have changed, but something inside of me has changed. And my faith and expectancy and vibrancy for God has returned. So that's what we're going to do this morning, really. We're going to open up. We've got 15 minutes left. I'm just going to say a couple of final things. But that, we're going to invite God's Holy Spirit to come and touch you. 
And it may happen instantly, and it may happen over the course of the series, and I'll maybe say something about that a bit later. But we're just going to, I'm asking you to open up your hearts. And it might be that you feel that you are fully ablaze this morning. You may have been sat there all morning thinking, Jana, I don't know what you're on, but you're not where I'm at. I'm really on for God, and life is great, and I'm passionate about God, and I'm just not where you've been talking about this morning. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. You keep going. You keep fueling that fire for God. We need you in the church. Keep ablaze for God. But it might be that you think, well, actually, I feel like my fire, my passion has been extinguished or dampened by some of the stuff you mentioned or other things. It may, might be that you feel like I'm just burning on a pilot light, you know, and I want that, you know, like when your boiler comes on and the full flame comes, you know, yes, I'm still burning for God, but actually I feel I'm just a bit of a pilot light at the moment and I want to be fully aflame. So I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're just going to spend a bit of time. We've got time this morning to open it up and just allow God to touch you. And can I just say one extra thing of encouragement that came to me just in the break? It might be that you're thinking, well, I'm not sure I even want this. Well, maybe let's take a step back from that. And I want to ask you, do you want to want it? Some years ago when I worked in Newcastle, uh, one of the church leaders there of the church I was at, his daughter was seriously ill with anorexia, terribly dire straits situation that she was in and we were praying for that. And then one day he came in with a beam on his face and he said, my daughter has said today that she wants to want to be well. It was a huge shift because she didn't want to be well and she wasn't quite at the place of saying, I want to be well, but something has shifted to say, I want to want to be well. I hope that makes sense. And it might be this morning you're sitting there feeling very dry or depassioned for God, thinking, well, I'm not sure I do one. But can I ask you, well, do you want to want to be passionate 